When I was a kid, I wanted to be a cowboy. I, I think that most people wanted to be a, a cowboy. I had a, a, um, one of those broomstick horses with, with a red broomstick. I, his name was Red Fred. And I, uh, I was little. It's okay. Uh, and, and so I, I would ride that around and I, I just, you watch some of the, the Western movies and read the books about the cowboys and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever to be out riding a horse and galloping, always galloping, jumping over things, whatever, you know, so, so that was, that was the dream, right, was, was to do that. I, I grew up in the suburbs, though, and didn't have much occasion to ride a horse. So I, I knew everything about riding, you, you know, sit in the saddle, night, loose, and all these things. Did you know it's a lot harder, actually, to do that? <laughs> and you get on the horse, and you, you trot, and you just bounce up and down and up and down. And um, it takes practice. I didn't realize that, that it takes practice. It takes uh, getting to know the horse. So that you can ride comfortably, working together with the horse rather than fighting against the horse or having the horse fight against you, but you being comfortable with the horse and the horse being comfortable with you so that you can ride together. My, my sister now lives out in eastern Washington and she has horses and she uh, rides and she says, you know, the hardest part of riding a horse is the ground. <laughs> Because if you're not falling off one side, you're falling off the other. And so what, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to look at our text that, that Patrick just read for us. And I would like to help us to, rather than just know about that text, enjoy the text so that we can, can, can ride together and, and to not fall off on either side. Okay, can we try to do that together this morning? So uh, Romans chapter 8 um, and we're, we're focusing this morning on verses 29 and 30, but, but we're bringing in verse 28 from, from last week because uh, it was so good that we can hardly ignore it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That was, that was last week. We, we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. And we, we have to have confidence in that, be clinging to that, holding to that, that everything, whether it feels like it or not, whether it looks like it or not, right now, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And that's the setup for these next verses. These next verses don't really make sense apart from the context that, uh, is, that we suffer with Christ and that in, the, in spite of all of the suffering, we have hope because we know that God will work together all things for good. Okay, so then we get into verse 29. For those he, whom He foreknew, He also predestined. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, when we were looking last week and we saw in verse 28 that we know that all things that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Did you, did you look at that and go, well, what is that? They're called according to his purpose. What is that referring to? What is God's purpose 
in calling. And now we get into verse 29 and it it begins to tell us, it it begins to expound on this and, and draw it out so that we have more confidence in 28, right? That all things work together for good. How do we know that that's the case? Well, it's because we love God and because uh, we are called according to his purpose. Because let me make this super clear. He foreknew you. He foreknew you. He knew you beforehand. Before he knew you. Way, way back. He knew you. Not like about you, right? Like we can tell you stats of famous sports players and things, and we can tell you about cowboys, and we can tell you about horses. No, he, he knew you. Like you know your best friend. Beforehand. This is a, a, a relational, intimate kind of, kind of a knowledge. He knows you. Everything about you. He knows you. So when you begin to wonder, okay, wow, what about this? Or what about that? Or, can God really love me? He already knows you and has been knowing you. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. So it's optional, right? Not really. He decided ahead of time. He already knew you. He, he, didn't, he didn't decide because he went, you know, I know Travis, and I, he's going to be a really fantastic guy. And uh, because he's going to be a really fantastic guy and do some really wonderful things, and he's going to have this great speaking voice that everybody loves to hear, you know, because of that, I think I will decide that he will... He didn't do that. He just knew ahead of time and in his knowing ahead of time determined, predetermined what would be happening with me and what would be happening with you. He already knows and already decided those things. He has foreknown it and predestined it to what? You see, whenever people get into uh, these kinds of words, these kinds of lists, he foreknew and those whom, whom he foreknew, he predestined, and they start thinking in these theological categories and things and they glaze over because these are big words that we don't really spend that much time on or we spend way too much time on them. And we look at these things and go, okay, if God predestined me, then I don't really matter. Nothing I do seems to matter. Because God already decided ahead of time. So if I do this, God decided that ahead of time. If I do that, God decided that ahead of time. So what I do doesn't really matter, right? Because God predestined me. But what is it that God predestined you for? He foreknew you and He predestined you, what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, the idea that because God foreknew and because God predestined and because God is in control of all things, then therefore what I do doesn't matter is completely opposite to what this text is saying. 
you're falling off the one side and the ground is pretty hard on that side. And so we don't want you to fall off on that side. We want you to stay on the horse and recognize that he has predestined those whom he foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. Ah, it's easy enough. No problem. Just got to look like Jesus. Except, that's a big order. He didn't go, you know, I think that I'm going to predestine you to go to heaven and you to go to heaven and you to go to heaven and you to go to heaven. Everybody else isn't going to go to heaven. Um, and, and so, you'll all look the same. Nobody will be able to tell anything different. He said, no, I'm going to to predestine that you will look like my son and 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 you will look like my son because my purpose is that you will be conformed to the image of my son. That's God's purpose. When he foreknew you and predestined you, he went, what I want from them is that they will be like my son. That's a high calling. That's a high calling that we would look like Jesus. I I don't feel like I measure up to that. I'm quite confident that I don't measure up to that. And yet this is what God is calling us to. This is what he has decided ahead of time that we would have this mind. This is uh, Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, let's pause for just a moment to see the impact of this. Because recognizing that God has called us to be conformed to the image of His Son, what this is saying is that first, Christ was conformed to the image of mankind. So, way back in the Garden of Eden, mankind was created in the image of God. And at the fall, at the the sin of Adam and Eve, that image was tarnished. And since then, we have been more in the image of man, more in the image of Adam, following in his likeness, in the sinful, rejecting of God kind of likeness. And so what Jesus did is he said, I am going to to become a man and restore the image of God. 
So that now what God is calling us to is He's saying, I have determined that you will be conformed to the image of my Son, no longer in the image of Adam, no longer in the image of sin, that tarnishedness, that marred image of me, but in the restored image of me, in the image of my Son. And this is what that looks like. That who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in likeness of men. He, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What does it mean for us to be conformed to the image of the Son of God? It means for us to become obedient like Christ was obedient. That we would put aside our pride and we would put aside our priorities and we would say, God, I am yours. I am going to be obedient to you. I'm going to follow you. This is what we are being called to. And then because of that, therefore God was high, was Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What great hope. That God so loved us that he sent his son to become like us, though not completely like us, in that he had no sin. So that he could redeem us from sin and we could become like him, conformed to his image. So if we go back to uh, Romans chapter 8, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called to his, according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This was God's purpose all along was that Jesus would be the first of many. That Jesus would be the first of many. So he decided that you would be conformed to the image of his Son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. It is amazing to me that God's whole purpose in all of this, in His calling us, in His working all things together for good, is so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son, so that there might be many, many of us. Jesus just being the first. You'd realize without Jesus there wouldn't be any. Jesus is categorically different than us, but yet is the first of us so that we might be conformed in His image and be children of God like Him. It's really wonderful that He has done this, that He is, is doing this. And so that it says, and those whom He predestined, verse 30, He also called. He's just layering piece after piece after piece. So that you will recognize that it wasn't you. 
God foreknew you. God predestined you. God called you. I think about that calling. Come here. Sometimes we like to think of a calling as an invitation. Hey, would you like to come over here? Sometimes I have that happen with my own kids where I'll go out there all playing at the park and I'm go, okay, kids, come on. And they decided it was optional. <laughs> I gave you the five minute warning. Now it's time to go. Come on. Okay, just one more. No. I'm just, nope. But I really wanted to. It was my turn to. Coming. I am calling you. I called you to come. My expectation is that you would come. You may have thought it was optional. You may have thought that you didn't want to do that, that you would resist that, that, that somehow uh, I would just sort of take my time. But the reality is, I have called you, you will come. God is calling you. The expectation is that you will come. You will come. That's why He called you. In fact, it says... Uh, Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. God is doing all of the work here. He's doing all of the work here. We've read about justification before in Romans chapter 3. This was a long time ago, so we're going to go back and look at it again. In part because um, it's been a long time and I'm sure you don't remember. And in part because these are some of the greatest verses in all the Bible. And so any excuse to slip them in and I do that. Romans chapter 3 starting in verse 20. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We have faith in Jesus. We believe that Jesus came as the Son of God to uh, enter into humanity and fulfill the requirements of humanity so that we might be justified in Him and conformed into His image. We have faith and believe that God does everything else. So that He might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith. In Jesus, there is no righteousness apart from faith. There is no coming to Jesus apart from faith. There is no uh, um, appeasing or appealing to or uh, being desirable to God apart from faith in Jesus. It's 
all done by him. It's all done by him. Back in Romans 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Some people are concerned somehow. They read this and go, "Um, what if this isn't talking about me? If the whole thing is up to God, what if I really wanted to love God, but this, this isn't speaking to me? What if this is talking about other people? What if I haven't been foreknown? What if I haven't been predestined? What if I haven't been called? What if I haven't been justified? What if this, these verses aren't talking to me? And I, I, I have heard people say that about these verses, and I, I just go, you totally missed the point. Don't fall off on the other side of the horse and think that somehow this is about you when the whole point about this is that this is all about God. It's not about you. It's not about whether or not you have loved Him enough or, or have faith or, or, or anything. It, it's, it's all Him, so that when we love Him, when we desire Him, when we want to come to Him, we know that He has already done all of these things and it is secure because there's nothing that can take that away from us. The whole point here is so that when in the midst of us loving God but our circumstances making us question and wonder whether or not this is going to turn out for good, we can look to God and go, He has done this and He has done this and He has done this. He has foreknown and predestined and called and justified. It was Him, it was Him, it was Him, it was Him. I don't have to worry about this. And when I hear people struggling with that, wrestling with that, I'm going, oh man, it's like you're riding the horse and you're bouncing on a trot. And you're going, I'm I'm afraid I'm going to fall off. God is holding you. He's trying to work with you. Stop fighting Him. The whole point of this is, is to assure you to give you confidence that it cannot fail to work together for your good regardless of what the circumstances look like, regardless of what the suffering feels like. It cannot fail to work together for your good because God is holding on to you. In this respect, the, the uh, illustration of the horse completely falls down. Because you're trying to cling to the horse, and in this case, you cannot fall off. Because it is completely up to God. If we back up just a little bit into Romans 8, uh, 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We, we've already covered that, but I feel like when we, somehow, even though we already covered that, when just a few verses later we get to this text, people start to get into this fear again. Oh, what if it's not me? What if he hasn't called me? What if he hasn't justified me? 
No, no, no. Listen, verse 15. Let's go back and refresh. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I'm going to try really hard because I've already preached that sermon to not preach that sermon again. But this whole chapter is about this. God has done it for you. You have the Holy Spirit within you as the guarantee and as the assurance that for those who love God, All things work together for good. All things work together for good. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't, don't lose heart. Because we know that, yes, the, this outer self is wasting away. The, the circumstances around us are, are, are painful and they make us feel like the world is falling apart. But even as that is happening, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We are becoming conformed to the image of His Son. That's happening. We're not there yet. We're not seeing it completely yet, but it is happening within us. We are getting there. That we will get there is sure, and that it's already taking part is, has begun within us. So that when we're reading in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, it says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. You're going to wait. Time out. Look at me. Not glorified. Pretty wonderful but not glorified. And humble, that's right. It's my best characteristic. But because we are being conformed to the image of His Son, already we are being glorified. Because it's all about Him and it's all about His work. Do you remember when I was reading in Philippians chapter 2? Listen again. 
He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is already beginning to happen now. We are already already proclaiming and confessing those things. Jesus has already been lifted high. He is already in that state of glory. And for those of us who love God and are called according to His purposes, all things are working together for our good and we will see ourselves fully glorified with Him. And even now, even now, I know it doesn't feel like it all the time. I know that you forget. But even now, we are being glorified with Him because we are united with Christ in His glory. And that's happening now. It has already begun. It's already begun. And so we sit here and we go, oh man, that doesn't feel like that. Today it doesn't feel like that. Yesterday it doesn't feel like that. And then we start singing the songs that adore and glorify Christ. And we go, man, what a great day. I'm so glad I came to church today so that I could sing and participate with the rest of my brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who are being co-heirs with Christ, so that we can rejoice in the glory of God. Because God is being glorified. He's being glorified in us. He's being glorified in us as individuals and us corporately. He's being glorified in the world because of the things that are happening. Even creation is longing, remember? Even creation is longing to see the glorification of the sons of God. And it's already beginning. We're just not fully there yet. So that when he says, when he says those whom he justified, he also glorified He's saying that in the past tense, we recognize that it's not reached its full completion yet, but it's on its way there. I want you to remember that this morning. It is completely secure. Completely. Because all of the weight falls on Him. All of the performance weight. All of the expectations. All of the work. Christ has already completed that. It is finished. And now... For those who love God and are called according to His purposes, all things work together for good. Because He has decided that we will be conformed to the image of His Son so that Jesus would just be the first of many brothers. Let's praise Him together, shall we? Our Father in Heaven, we recognize that you are our Father and we are your children. And Lord, I thank you for these texts that affirm and reaffirm and assure and reassure 
Because though we read it and though we know it intellectually, when the way gets bumpy, we feel like we're going to fall. And we begin to wonder and we begin to question. And yet, Lord, you have given us this word so that we might be assured So that we might be confident, not in ourselves, but in you. And so I ask for those who are here this morning, that you would assure them that by the Holy Spirit they might cry, Abba, Father, and that the Holy Spirit would be poured into their hearts and assure them that they are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Lord, I pray that they might see even now, you being glorified. And they're participating in that glory because they share your name. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who are questioning or have not yet believed. Father, I pray that you would call them And that this week they would believe that you are God, that you have known them since before the beginning of the world and have called them to be your own. Father, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.